you know, the passion narrative, as we all know, it's, it's really rich, it's really deep, and it's really complex. And so almost by necessity, whenever you're reflecting on the passion narrative, the story of the suffering and death of our Lord, you need to kind of pick one thing and go deep, as opposed to dealing with the entire thing in a really loose and superficial sort of way. And so given all that, for our purposes today, I want to focus on this detail which shows up partway through the story, namely this detail involving the figure of Barabbas. Because even though there's a tendency for all of us, I think, to reduce the story of Barabbas to a mere historical footnote, you know, in the sense of saying that back in the day on Good Friday, the people of God chose to release the prisoner of Barabbas as opposed to the person of Christ. In reality, the story actually has great significance for all of us, practically and theologically speaking. So at the very outset, perhaps it might be kind of important to clarify exactly who the figure of Barabbas actually was in the context of the story. So if you kind of read all the different versions of the gospel, collectively speaking, what you realize is that Barabbas was a robber, he was a notorious prisoner, and on top of that, he was involved in this really violent uprising against the Roman Empire. In any case, regardless of which detail you actually focus on, the general idea is essentially clear, right? So Barabbas wasn't simply your common thief, but rather he was sort of a freedom fighter, or in a certain sense, a messianic figure, if you will. And so Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, in the first volume of his really famous Jesus of Nazareth series, he talks about this. And so basically what he says is that, given all that context with regards to Barabbas' character as revealed in the Gospel, it's no coincidence that his name is actually bar Abbas. So it's a compilation of two words, Bar and Abbas. Bar meaning son, and Abbas meaning father. And of course, when he put it all together, a son of the father, it's obviously a play on words on one of Jesus' more famous titles, one that he actually ascribes to himself, namely, a son of man. And so given all that, the question that's being posed to us through the story of Barabbas is essentially around which messianic figure do you actually build your life? And so, for example, when you look at how you actually live your life and the choices that you make, do you actually go the way of the carpenter, the one who advocates the path of humility and suffering love? Or, in fact, do you go the way of Barabbas, the one who, in a certain sense, is the very embodiment of worldly strength and power? And you see, once you realize that that's the question that's being posed to us in the context of the story, is it any wonder, is it any surprise that the people of God on Good Friday ultimately sent Jesus to his death, crying in a certain sense at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So abhorrent do they find the path of suffering love and how attractive in contrast do they find the path of worldly strength and power. And of course, the takeaway message for our purposes is that when it comes to living out our faith, it's easy in a certain sense to keep our faith on the periphery, to keep God on the outside, such that He never actually interferes with my essential goals and purposes. Especially when the stakes are high, the stress is on, time is at a premium, and the thing that we're fighting for is something that we really, really want. All the while perhaps trying to absolve ourselves of our bad behavior by saying, look, everyone's doing it, or I'm simply trying to be practical. And so the example that comes to mind is this really great reflection by Bishop Scott McCaig, who is the Bishop for the Military Ordinariate for the country of Canada. And so basically in the context of his talk, Bishop McCaig was reflecting on how the way in which the world has tended to look at life has sort of changed and evolved over a period of time. And so just to kind of sum things up, at the very beginning of his talk, Bishop McKay talked about divine revelation. And particularly what he said was that there was a time when the world took divine revelation seriously in terms of clarifying who we are, where we're from, and where we're going. But over time, of course, that changed. And so the world, instead of looking at divine revelation, looked exclusively to reason and observation and the use of the intellect. 
But then he said, since then, a more dramatic change has happened. And so the world nowadays sort of advocates largely this philosophy called voluntarism, based on the Latin word voluntaris, which means the will. And so the whole idea behind voluntarism is that instead of discovering reality through the use of my reason, my observation, my intellect, I make reality happen through the sheer force of my will. And so from this perspective, how are decisions predominantly made in the context of the modern world, either through the tyranny of the majority or simply through the exercise of my will, through the exercise of my power? Who has the most power? Who has the most strength? Who can basically yell the loudest? But you see, just to kind of bring it back to what we're talking about today, whenever we do this, whenever we go the way of voluntarism and, and make decisions again through the sheer force of our will, our power, or the tyranny of the majority, what are we actually doing but going the way of Barabbas, as opposed to going the way of the suffering Christ? And to take it one step further, whenever we act in this way, whenever we choose to build our lives around this philosophy, what we're actually doing from a biblical perspective, we're actually sending Christ to his death yet again to suffer and die on the cross. Because again, we've chosen Barabbas as opposed to the path of suffering love. Okay, one final example, and I'll kind of end with this. And so if you were watching the Oscars or the Academy Awards this past year, you'll probably notice that there was a really infamous episode where one of the hosts, Chris Rock, was struck in the face by one of the nominees for Best Actor. And certainly in the aftermath of that particular event, there was a huge explosion both in the news and on social media in terms of social commentary with regards to what could have been done and what should be done going forward in the future. But for our purposes today, I want to focus on one thing that I found particularly striking, namely Chris Rock's silence in the aftermath of being struck. So basically, if you don't know, the Oscars typically take place on a Sunday. And as I'm recording this before Holy Week, I'm recording this on a Friday, so it's almost a week since the Oscars. And to my knowledge, Chris Rock still hasn't made a, a public statement with regards to the events that happened in the context of the Academy Awards. And again, personally, I found that to be extremely striking, especially because Chris Rock isn't really known for being silent when it comes to social issues. But I think in this, he's being really thoughtful and really provocative, actually. Because if you think about it, through his silence, Chris Rock is basically inviting the world to stop, to pause, to reflect, and to think, and to discover the truth about the situation by, again, kind of building time and space into the situation to pause and reflect and think. And perhaps I might suggest that that is a very Christian move. In a certain sense, to kind of bring it back to the gospel, it's a way of moving away from the path of Barabbas and moving towards the path of the suffering Christ. Because you got to remember, like, who is Jesus Christ, right? He is not simply the Son of Man. He's not simply the Son of the Father, but instead he is also the way, the truth, and the life. And may God bless you all.